So this summer series on life hacks um, is brilliant, actually. Um, John Goodlift did an amazing job on the life hack, how to be a friend that brings life last week. And so today's is how to listen in a world full of noise. So my favorite life hack that I found on the internet was this one, if you can see that. Add a touch of magic to your cold by putting glitter in your mouth before you sneeze. That was my, that's my wisdom. That's all I've got, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, a life hack is just something that makes life easier or more fun. Um, and so in terms of how to listen in a world of noise, it's just so important that we do that. I heard somebody say recently, I hate it when my wife suddenly says, are you listening to me? I mean, who even starts a conversation like that? <laughs> Made me laugh. Um, and also President Roosevelt in America... He used to, when there was a meet and greet in, White, in the White House, he used to just drop in random words or say random things, like he'd admit to crimes, as like he'd shake hands just to see if people were listening instead of just saying, nice to meet you. He'd just drop in these random things. So it's really important that we, we listen. But before I start this, I just want to be really honest and just say that this week with me, like working and reading about this, I found it really challenging personally. And so I don't come as an expert, and I am just literally a fellow traveler with you on the journey today. So bear with me. So the things we're going to cover are how we need to listen to God and how God listens to us, how we need to listen to other people, and how we need to listen to ourselves. So it's a fact, isn't it, that there is a noise in our culture, in our world, that is so loud. We have 24-7 news. We have social media. We have algorithms which send alerts to our smartphones and watches just constantly being notified of things. All that digital noise and electronic din and relentless stimulation through technology is just so loud. There's a book called The Listening Life written by a guy called Adam McHugh and he says in there, Life in our wired society is contributing to the erosion of the capacity for listening. I'll say that again. Life in our wired society is contributing to the erosion of the capacity for listening. Did you know technology is actually rewiring our brains? Studies have shown that it is more difficult today than ever before to concentrate on just doing one thing. No phones, no music, no external stimulation, just doing one thing is the hardest it's ever been because our brains have been rewired to have more stimulation. So that is stripping us of the ability to be fully present and to listen well. But also in our listening, we do surround ourselves with echo chambers, which are it's a way of describing the people that you're friends with and how you do life with. If they're all the same as you and they all think the same as you, there is no challenge to listen to other people's opinions or from other backgrounds. And there is even no challenge to just stop and to be still and to find the quiet comfortable. Of course, we live in a city, don't we? And there is urban noise, all that traffic, sirens, people. It's really hard to get away. There's also the noise of all the different opinions out there. I don't know if you've noticed that at the moment that people have such strong opinions on everything and they come at us all the time. And that is hard to get away from. But there's also the inner noise in our minds, distractions, pain, fear. It's just so loud. So how do we get away? 
In the fourth century, when the Roman Empire fell into decline, there was a small group of people who we now know as the Desert Fathers and Mothers. They went out from all over the Roman Empire into the no-man's land of North Africa at the time. They went out to sit, to be quiet before God, to listen in prayer. And they started what we now call the monastic movement. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go into a desert and just sit there, but there is a drive from the Holy Spirit inside all of us, whether we recognize it or not, to get away from the noise and to be still and sit before God. In our world that's full of noise, it's more important to follow this drive than ever before. And as the Desert Fathers and Mothers used to say, we need to retreat from the world for the world. Now, Jesus is a brilliant example of this in the scriptures. It's recorded often in the Gospels that he goes into the desert or up a mountain, or he gets up early in the morning just to sit with the God that he called Father and to listen. We see there that Jesus goes with three best friends, Peter, James, and John, up a mountain. Now, interestingly, no name is given to that mountain in the Bible. And some scholars think that that is a literary technique by the writer to nudge us as the reader to discover what our mountain is that we have to go up to with God, to personalise it. But in all accounts, it's probably Mount Hermon, which is on the border of Lebanon and Syria today. It's the tallest mountain in the area. So in this passage, we hear about the transfiguration of Jesus, and I've just got this image of, by an artist. But this passage is like a hyperlink, a biblical hyperlink back to Exodus chapter 24, where Moses encounters God on a mountain. And that's when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Now in verse 2 of chapter 17 in Matthew, it says, Jesus' clothes became as white as light, as you can see in this picture. Now to a first century Jewish reader, this would also be a nod back to Daniel in chapter 7, which is in the Old Testament. Daniel was a prophet and he prophesied that there would be an ancient of days whose clothing was as white as light. So when Jesus is transfigured before Peter, James and John, we see Jesus in his full glory of his divinity. Moses was there as well. He was representing the law. Elijah was there representing the prophets. But they both defer to Jesus because Jesus is greater than both the law and the prophets. So when we encounter Jesus in all his divinity, like Peter, James and John there, we are never the same afterwards. We can see that in the New Testament if you keep reading through the scriptures. People encounter Jesus and they are never the same. Whether that's a quick transformation or a slow transformation, they don't, they don't stay the same. In verse 5, it says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then three words, Listen to him. A command. So just like with any other relationships, we need to set time apart to be with Jesus. In our busy lives and all that noise that we talked about at the beginning, it really won't happen unless we're intentional about it. So when I got married in 2005 to my husband, we spent the first two years of our marriage at Bible College, full-time students. And I knew that if 
we were going to have a marriage that was thriving, we needed to have a date night because I'm married to an extrovert and he would just, I would not see him. So we have a date night and it's not lavish, it's not expensive, it's probably just a walk. Um, but it, that was essential in that time for us to have that catch-up time. Now, who, who knows what a Gantt chart is? Does anybody know what a Gantt chart is? Yes, yes, great. So back in 2005, I had no idea what a Gantt chart is. Um, but I discovered that James did a Gantt chart for um, his studies. And a Gantt chart, should, it could be coming, yeah, brilliant. I've just got this off the internet. This isn't actually James's one. But um, you can do different colours for different projects, different timelines, and it helps you to organise your life, basically. And this is not how I think. I wish it was a bit more sometimes. But I discovered a few months into our studies that actually I was a colour on James's Gantt chart. <laughs> I was one of his projects that he was managing on his Gantt chart. And actually, I was a little bit upset, but actually, thinking about it, I was privileged because he was prioritising time with me in his busyness. And that's how he showed it. Um, and so I'm just... The essence of what I'm saying is that we need to prioritise prioritize a time with Jesus, whether that is booking a slot in your diary and calling it a meeting or whatever. So if people want to meet you then, say, no, I've got a meeting. Um, or whether it's another way. We need to prioritise time. So in a world that's hyper-digital, where everything is so fast, where we expect a response immediately, it took six days up a mountain for Moses to hear from God. And I don't know if you noticed in the reading just now, it took six days from when Jesus told them about the transfiguration for it to actually happen. So to listen and to wait, it's really countercultural and it feels really weird and awkward sometimes. But I'd encourage you to try, and me, I'm preaching to myself, to try and stay with prayer long enough and learn to wait on God and to hear his voice, because that is where true wisdom is found. Mother Teresa was asked about prayer once, and she said... When I pray to God, I don't say anything. I listen. And God doesn't say anything. He listens. And it's in that listening that God might deposit a word or a phrase or a picture or a Bible verse into our minds. And that is incredible. Now the words listen and obey are actually combined in Latin, which is where English comes from. And also in the languages that the Bible was written in, Greek and Hebrew, the word listen and the word obey are actually the same word. So to hear and not to do is actually not to do at all. Not to hear at all, sorry. Do you know in the Bible, the word listen is used over 1,500 times? It's the most frequently voiced complaint in the Bible. People don't listen. And when we say, you're not listening to me, that really means you're not hearing me. You're not caring, you're not focusing, you're not prioritising. Listening isn't passive, it's active. But hearing, that's passive. If we're fortunate to have the sense of hearing, it's involuntary. We don't have ear lids to protect us. Our hearing is our alarm system. Do you know our bodies can respond in one-tenth of a second to noise? But listening, that's different. That's an act of the will. It's a choice. So we need to centre our ears, our mind, our heart posture onto someone or something else other than ourselves. It's being servant-hearted. Servants are obedient listeners. 
the attention is off ourselves and the focus is on the needs of others. So if we want to listen to Jesus, we need to learn how to be a servant and that's countercultural as well. Listening is so important to Jesus that he devotes his first parable to it. In Mark 4, we know it as the parable of the sower. The four soils that the seed is thrown onto, there are four different ways and four different efforts that people put into listening. And the true listeners in that parable are actually the people that stayed behind and asked Jesus for the interpretation. God desires us to pursue him, to seek him, to relentlessly question him, to chew over and understand his word, to digest it, to seek clarity, even when we're doubting. It makes us into his disciples. But talking about listening is easier than actually listening. When we're quiet, when we unplug from the world, it actually might turn up the volume in our minds, the volumes of fear, those voices of insecurity. It can be quite uncomfortable initially. But remember, God listens to us. In Exodus chapter 2, we hear that God remembered his covenant to his people. He heard the misery of the people that were crushed by oppression. The Israelites groaned out of slavery. They cried out, and their cry raised to God, and God heard. Adam McHugh again, he says, God's active listening started the wheels of redemptive history turning. God's active listening started the wheels of redemptive history turning. And in that same story, we see the opposite in Pharaoh, don't we? He didn't listen to anybody. He didn't listen to his own people who were crushed under the plagues. He didn't listen to Moses or God or to the slaves. Pharaoh's kingship asserts authority and rule. But God's kingship, he is moved by the cries of his people. He's moved by the cries of those in need. So the crown belongs to the king who listens. God has never stopped listening to the groans of his people, even today, in our city, in this room. He is listening to us. Even when we just whisper or groan in a prayer, it means that we're actually clinging on to the hope that God is listening to us. He wants to hear us. Just like Jesus wanted to hear the whole story of the woman who reached out and touched his robe in that crowd. Not that he needed to be informed, he already knew, but so that she would feel known and she would feel heard. How do we listen to others? And I love Peter in this this story. He got a bit confused and he was just trying to be really proactive. He's like, let me build a tent for Moses and Elijah. I need to build, I need to do something. But actually the solution may or may not be clear to us. But it's not about that, actually. It's about just showing up. It's about people just want to have somebody by their side and they need to feel heard. So Mother Teresa, again, is quoted as saying, in the West, there is a loneliness, which I call the leprosy of the West. In many ways, it's worse than our poor in Calcutta. That's hard-hitting. And we've known, even before COVID, but definitely since, There is a huge loneliness in the West, in our city, and in our church, I'm sure. People need to feel heard. And so we need to be a church that listens. How do we become this? Well, the life hack is that it's not surrounded by noise. It's in the quiet. 
Yes, there are listening tools and techniques that we can talk about, like active listening and repetition and paraphrasing, but it's actually about our listening heart. In Kings 3 verse 9, Solomon asked God for a listening heart, which is often translated as wisdom. And our listening is dependent on our listening heart. Do we approach people with the intention of listening or talking? We are called to empathetic listening, which literally means to feel into or enter into the dark places of another world with the person who's speaking. We don't need to have necessarily gone through all the same things that they're going through, but it's entering into what Romans 15, 15 says, where it says we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. It's like having the metaphor of an arrow pointing towards the other person for the entire conversation and not trying to bring it back to ourselves. We don't have our phones out interrupting us. Deborah Van Doysen Hungsinger, which is a great name, in her book, Pray Without Ceasing, says that there is a divine drama hidden in all of us crying out to be heard. Everybody has a story. I think it's so great that Riverside are celebrating that with the stories that they're gathering from us to inspire us. And I just really encourage you, if you haven't done one yet, just to go on their website. It's really easy. If I can do it, literally anybody can do it. It's less than three minutes, the story. So it's just short and sharp. But it would just really encourage us as a church to hear other people's stories. When we listen to somebody, there's actually there's one speaker and there's two listeners because there's the Holy Spirit who helps us to listen as well. He can guide the conversation. But actually some situations are just so heavy that silence is the only thing that can support their weight and that is okay. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said, it must be a decisive rule of every Christian fellowship that every individual is prohibited from saying that which occurs to them. I love that quote. It basically is saying, don't just say the first thing that comes into your mind. We could be a culture and a community that changes our social culture, our Western culture, because that culture actually veils and minimizes the pain, doesn't it? And I'm reminded of the story of when Lazarus died. He was a really good friend of Jesus. And when Jesus showed up, he saw all the people mourning. And what did he do? He didn't raise him from the dead. He could, because he was God. He wept, the shortest Bible verse. Jesus wept. He entered into the pain before he did anything or said anything. I think we fail people in pain when we try to heal them before weeping with them, literally, or in our hearts. It's like jumping from Palm Sunday all the way through to Easter and bypassing Good Friday. We wait together with the person for the resurrection. We don't stand outside a pit looking down on them, arguing them out of their feelings. We are two fragile people together in the pit, waiting for the resurrection. And it's okay not to be okay. And some advice for us as listeners... Listening to other voices that don't sound like ourselves is so important. Different cultures, ethnicities, different backgrounds and beliefs. If we don't listen to these things and these cultures, these people that are different to us, we're actually going to be really limited and stunted in our growth as people, but as also children of God. Listening to advice as well, in Proverbs 13 it says, He who scorns instruction will pay for it. 
but he who respects the command is rewarded. I have thought about quoting that to my children, but I thought best not to. But it's about listening to advice and taking it. Now, listening to God's voice, Luke 1.37 is a really powerful verse that I've put in there with different translations. This is spoken in the context of the angel telling Mary that she was going to have a baby. No word from God will fail, will ever fail. So we know that when God speaks, it's as good as done. It cannot fail. The word of God is true and faithful. But how do we discern that voice? How do we know it's him talking when we listen? Well, firstly, it's a voice that doesn't shout or scold. It's not trying to convince us. It just speaks. It's peaceful, which is a fruit of the spirit that God instills in us. God's voice is often just a lasting thought or impression on someone's consciousness. The author Dallas Willard says that many people hear God's voice, but they don't know it's God. The difference between God's voice and my inner voice, I don't know about yours, but my inner voice is argumentative. It tries to convince me of things. It repeats itself. It shouts at me. It's not peaceful. It's not encouraging. I once heard God's voice not audibly, but just how I've described, just an impression on my mind. I was walking my then very young three children to school. I had a double buggy with a newborn and a toddler, and I had a five-year-old on a scooter, and we were crossing a road, and we'd just stopped for the traffic, and I was just breathing. I was absolutely exhausted, physically and emotionally, and just at the end of myself, and doubting my abilities as a mum. And just completely from left field, I sensed... I didn't know at the time it was God. You're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. And as I thought about that throughout that day, I was like, that can't have been me, because I don't think that kindly to myself. <laughs> it has to have been God. And I still think about that to this day, that he sees, he sees, and he knows how to communicate with us. But obviously God can speak in a, myriad of, in a myriad of ways because he's God. However, his voice is usually small. It's what the Quakers call the inner teacher. And it's wonderful that actually God considers our listening when he speaks. He assumes that we're close enough to hear the whisper. How important is it that we slow down and we wait and we're still long enough to hear and listen and obey? We can listen to God through prayer. So sometimes when we pray, we assume that normal prayer is talking prayer and that listening prayer is somehow just for God's elite, not for like normal Christians. But actually, I just really want to challenge that. Everyone can hear God's voice from the smallest of babes to the eldest. Everyone can hear God's voice. Prayer is a two-way conversation. We actually can't control when and how God speaks, can we? But what we can control is the acoustics that receive his sound. We can be quiet until other intrusive noises just leave us alone. Sometimes we don't hear anything. That's okay. We're not expecting a spectacular revelation every time we're still with God. But what we are doing is we're seeking God every time we're still with him. Brother Lawrence was a French monk who lived in the 1600s. 
There's a little book written about him, all the different conversations and letters that he sent to people. It's really good. I recommend it. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. Now, what was revolutionary at the time for Brother Lawrence was his duty in the monastery was washing the pots and the pans and doing all the dishes. And he had a profound realisation that God is no less holy in the mundane chores of life than he was in the chapel. So God is just as holy in the routine of cleaning a house, doing the food shop, going to work, raising children. He is just as holy in that as he is in a dazzling cathedral or in a life-changing prophetic word. We can discover God in the mundane today. Do you know, studies have calculated that in the average person's lifetime, they will spend 2,000 hours brushing their teeth, 15,000 hours driving, 44,000 hours eating, and 58,000 hours doing chores. So doesn't it matter how we spend our time? Imagine if we used all that time practicing the presence of God, realizing that God is with us in those mundane times, just as much as when we go on a retreat and have days in silence. Not that that is common. But the practice of the presence of God is so important in our lives. And creation. Creation is a signpost to our creator, so we can listen through creation. And I know that sounds a bit weird, but bear with me. Creation is a, get, is a way of getting away from the noise of life. We're really blessed in Birmingham to have so many lovely parks and green spaces. But even in our gardens, if we're fortunate enough to have a garden, just to get out into the nature somewhere. It can restore us as we see what looks like the trees standing there like this, praising God. Maybe even when we haven't got the strength to, we look at a tree and just think, gosh, nature's praising him. Nature can teach us. It reminds us to slow down the seasons of activity and rest. It moves us, like when we realize that you can't overpower the ocean. And God's even bigger than that. It can comfort us when we see a sunrise. It reminds us of the resurrection. Yes, nature is art for our eyes, but it's also a feast for our spiritual ears as we see and listen. Creation is actually listening to God, to his rhythms of life. And I just wanted to end with how we listen to our, ourselves, listening to our bodies. Because our bodies are actually where we experience emotion. So the pits of our stomach, the tightness in the shoulders, the heaviness in our eyelids when we're tired, sweaty palms when we're nervous, breathing slowly or fast. It's good to think about what gives us energy as well. Where do we feel most alive? Listen to our bodies. How, how much sleep do we need? And also, physical actions and postures can help us to pray sometimes. I love walking and running in the mornings. This helps me to pray and to focus. And for years, I'm not exaggerating, years, I would beat myself up because I'm not a morning person. And I wasn't having a quiet time in the mornings because A, I fell asleep, or B, I just completely lost focus. I couldn't concentrate and read the Bible. And I just think, what an awful Christian I am. But when I discovered walking in nature and running, listening to the Bible in my headphones, that was absolutely life-changing. And that is where I hear the God, the God the most. It's incredible. So we need to be creative. We're not all the same. Some people can wake up and sit with the Lord in silence for half an hour and not fall asleep. I wish I was more like that. But sometimes we need to move our bodies to focus too. So just to end, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were known as a listening community? 
where people came to church to be heard. When the New Testament speaks of unity, it's mostly speaking about love through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not about doctrinal agreement. So we listen. We give permission for each other to be our own person. But this means we will disagree sometimes. But we will stay at the table and keep listening to those we disagree with. Our unity is in our commitment to listen to one another. Listening is the first thing we do in life. It's the last thing we do in death. We don't have a choice then, but we do have a choice for everything in between. Listening is a gift from God to help spark the intimacy and to grow us as servants and disciples. And also the realisation that it's incredible that the God who made the heavens and the earth listens to us. So let's be intentional about getting away from the noise of our lives. Turn off our phones. Get creative in how we still our hearts before God and listen and practice his presence. 